What's up, y'all? We're so excited for you to hear our conversation today with Scott Miller. If you don't know Scott, he currently serves as a special advisor of thought leadership for the Franklin Covey Company and is the host of the world's largest weekly leadership podcast series, On Leadership with Scott Miller. He also hosts Franklin Covey's monthly book club on bookclub.com. And additionally, Scott's an author of numerous books, writes a column for Inc. Magazine, and is the creator of Ignite Your Genius. And above all that, he's an amazing person, an amazing human being. There's something for everyone in this episode, and I can't wait for y'all to enjoy. Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Megan. For years, we were stuck in a rut, always complaining that nothing ever changed for us. And then we realized, if we wanted to improve our lives, we had to put in the work. Each week on this podcast, we'll get into an aspect of personal growth, relationships, or just life. Through our own experiences and guest interviews, we hope to inspire you to make your own positive changes. Welcome Welcome to to the the Fools in Love Podcast. Well, Scott, congrats. Obviously, we're so pumped to have you back. Congratulations on this whole Mass to Success series, which... I think last I heard, it's going to be 10 books total yeah. in the series. Yeah. yeah, the publisher assigned me to a 10-year, 10-volume 10 series in the Mess to Success brand. So marketing right. mess to brand success is done, and job mess to career success comes out in January, and then seven after that. So I have to slot eight more slots for you to come on this show and talk <laughs> about the next books. I'm pumped about this. Let's put it on the calendar <laughs> today, and we'll be good to go. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. So off camera, we talked a little bit about the kind of the whirlwind you've been on. I know you've had a lot of changes recently. I mean, we've had you on the show before. We've talked about some of the changes, but like for the people that haven't followed you, can you talk a little bit about this journey you've been taking the last like year, year and a half? Because it seems like I'm just always trying to keep up with the next thing you're doing. Well, that's gracious of you. Thank you both for turning your spotlight on to me today. I appreciate your abundance, genuinely. So I spent 25 years at the Franklin Covey Company, right? The the brand behind the seven habits of highly effective people was the chief marketing officer for eight years. And uh, like no other sane person, I quit that job in the middle of the pandemic and <laughs> walked away from you know a fairly large compensation plan, a lot of stock. And I decided to kind of spread my wings and, and lead the next 25 years of my life, hopefully in career, hopefully it's longer than 25 years, but maybe not. <laughs> and so it was a big risk, but I, I'm a fairly fearless person. I spent a lot of years determining when was I being reckless, but thinking I was being fearless. And so I've learned better, you know, not to confuse the two. I'll bet a lot of your listeners can relate to that, right? As masquerading as being fearless, but really being reckless. So I planned for several years and my wife and I downsized a bit in terms of our expensive and the size of our homes to create a runway for ourselves and our three boys to build this business. And um, I've been delighted at how it's been received. So my, my 30 years of leadership experience and writing and speaking and podcasting, the podcast that I host is now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. It's about 8 million every Tuesday. Congratulations. And so it's, it's the generosity and the abundance of people like you that are, are helping to raise my, my platform. And, and so now this book is Marketing Mess to Brand Success, built on the success of Management Mess to Leadership Success. And and I'm uh, making the rounds, you know, two steps forward, one steps back, right? Every week, one yeah. door closes. And I genuinely, whenever something happens to me that violates my expectation, an expectation I just created out of, my, out of the blue, I say to myself, sometimes a disappointment turns into an appointment. And instead of licking my wounds, 
I just think, okay, so what do I do with this, right? What, what is the lesson from this? How do I pivot? And that has helped me to keep my momentum going is when one door closes, I go knock on another door and I'm pretty relentless about that. And I think there's some lessons to be learned in that. Definitely. Yeah, it's I honestly, it's so easy to shine the spotlight on you. I want to just take a moment to pump your ego a little bit and just the person you mm-hmm. are, because I'm going to say there are so many people, me and Megan were talking before we even got on this podcast. There's so many people we meet in the industry, in the field that genuinely on camera seem like really great people and off camera, you might get something completely different. And there's only a handful of people that we would say are genuinely serving great people just that you interact with. And you're one of those people. So I just want to say it's very easy from our end to support you in your endeavors in in that regard. And I mean, I will say that like a year, year and a half ago, Brandon walked into my office. Well, really he marched and he said, holy crap, Meg, Scott Miller just said, can I have your phone number? He's going to call me and he's going to walk me through all my questions. And I was like, are you serious? What are you taught? Like, that's going to happen. And I mean, was some other did, Scott did. Miller? Did, did you get me confused with some other Scott Miller? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I appreciate it. I, I, that's gracious of you to say. I, you know, I think congruence is, you know, the, the essence of character is uh, trying to, you know, share our successes, share our messes. You know, I don't know if you saw it, but when my book launched, I thought it would sell a massive number. And you may have seen that when I unveiled the first week's results, they were a little less than expectation, right? But how do you not, how do you write a book about your messes and then also not share your messes and try to teach through them? So that's my journey. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's so refreshing, like the whole mess to success series, because for us, a lot of times we look at people just generally, not even us personally, but just out in, you know, the social media world, you look at people and you see them and you see them at the mountaintop and they share all their victories and they share all the things that they got this. They're, they're just, they're so great. And it's like so hard to strive to where they are. So it's so refreshing to find someone who's willing to be vulnerable and open enough to share their messes. Because I think in reality, if we're more willing to share our messes and kind of the mistakes we've made in owning them and understanding we can learn from them. It's so refreshing from like the audience perspective because we're like, okay, he's just like me. He's just like you. He can allow me to realize that like we're all human. We all have our messes, but then we can get to that place. But a lot of times when we look at other people, it's hard. And I wondered what role you feel vulnerability has in that and your ability to lean in and own those messes? Well, first of all, beautifully said, Brandon, I think vulnerability is a leadership competency. Just like reading a P&L and understanding your supply chain, vulnerability is a leadership competency. I'd even argue even exponentiated post-pandemic because there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of deficits and self-confidence right now. People have been set back. Women specifically in the workplace have been, you know, arguably generationally disproportionately affected from the pandemic, right? Because of family decisions and such. So I think even so for men right now, vulnerability is a way to help validate and lift up women in our professions, our our, our spouses, our children. So I I think there's a difference between being gratuitously self-confessing, right? Where you're just confessing everything all the, all the time. You know what? That's probably not helpful. And then there is what I'm trying to do, which is to be vulnerable when there can be a teaching moment, meaning 
I don't believe that you have my talents, my abilities, and my aptitude. I don't have your talents and your ability to aptitude. I, I can't do what you do, but I can learn from the mistakes that you've made and like walk around the pothole, right? Or jump over the curb. And so I've had a fairly successful career, not without mistakes, right? I mean, I have a human resource file. I mean, I've said things that I shouldn't have. I've done things I shouldn't have nothing, you know, overtly illegal or immoral, of course, <laughs> sometimes close, but you know, I learned from them and someone sat me down and said, Scott, you cannot say that. Or Scott, what were you thinking? I think I have a good track record, obviously as an officer in a public company, but I just passionately believe that the best leaders are those, including whether you're a spouse, a parent, or a formal leader in a company are those that sit their seat, their team down and say, let me tell you about this thing I did. And let me explain to you why I did it and where my thinking was and why you shouldn't do it and teach through your mistakes. There's so much value in that, especially with your kids. Right? I mean, I may not tell my kids everything I did in life, right? But, but sitting down and being vulnerable and being relatable, I think an industry, regardless of what business you're in, being able to relate to your leader is such a powerful teaching tool and also retention tool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, okay. So we know that obviously somebody else's messes can help shape what you do differently for your own life, watching somebody else. But have you also found that when you mess up, you're also teaching yourself? Like, are you finding merit in those mistakes and those messes? Let me give you an example. Um, Yesterday, just yesterday, I was in a very high stakes meeting with a partnership that I'm becoming involved in. And I'll mention it's bookclub.com. I'm I'm getting ready to launch in July. I'm a moderator on a new startup called bookclub.com. And they had the chief marketing officer there, the chief business officer. It was primarily women. And, you know, we kind of, you know, we were, I'd never met them before in person. We had a meeting here in Salt Lake City. They flew in for a meeting. The meeting is going well. And, and we kind of, our rapport built. I felt a little more casual, a little more comfortable. And then at the, towards that, I shared a couple of what I thought were kind of funny stories and they weren't received well. It actually was kind of crass of me. I meant it to be kind of, I meant it to be light and funny, but quite frankly, I think it was received as being sexist. Mm-hmm. And I was embarrassed and I didn't really kind of understand how poorly it was received until I got in my car and I thought, you know what? I don't feel so good about that. These are some powerful women and there were some not so powerful women there, right? Women of all levels of, of influence. And so an hour into that, me being home, I wrote them all an email, all of them, an email. I said, great meeting, thoroughly enjoyed it. Most importantly, let me apologize. I said some things that were crass and I was wrong. The only viable apology is an excuse-free apology. So I could cook up some sort of funny, witty thing to cover that up and save face, but I'm not going to. I was wrong. I was crass. I shouldn't have said it. I own it. I apologize. It won't happen again. That was my email. Mm. Right. I, 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 didn't, I didn't say anything like to defend myself or try to make it feel like I didn't say, no, no, no. What I said is what I said. And can I tell you to a T, every single one of them has emailed me back. It was a, it was a lonely six hours. I was checking <laughs> my email. I was checking my email and they were all in meetings the rest of the day. But around 10 PM last night, the email started coming in where they just thanked me for owning it. They said, you know what? Uh, forgiven. We get it. We like you. Thank you for the email. And you know that, that I'm not sure I would have done that five years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I, I would have probably dug in and said, ah, oh, you're too sensitive or ah, oh. no, I just owned it. 
I apologized for it unequivocally. Mm. I'd made no excuses. I just said I was crass. I was wrong. I was an idiot. I apologize unreservedly. Please accept my unattached apology. And you know what I can say? I think 24 and a half hours later, I think I have regained ground because of my humility, my vulnerability, and my intent. My intent was not to manipulate them. My intent was to own it and apologize. And I tell you, I had a rough 10 hours. I was worried about my brand. I thought, what an idiot I was. Why did I say that? That was like an internal thing. That was not an external thing. And if I told you what it was, you probably would say no big deal. But you know, times are different now, right? And we need to be more Mm -hmm. careful about what we say and how people can take offense to it. I I share that not to trumpet my apology, but to say, you know, a well-intended apology where you own your mess, you own what you said. You cannot talk your way out of a problem you behaved yourself into. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. I behaved myself into a problem and I had to behave myself out of it by offering a sincere, no one asked me to, no one said to me, I just, my conscience knew I I need to make this right. Mm -hmm. That was a long story, but I think there's some power that Megan in that, and just saying, own your mess. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely appreciate your transparency because I think a lot of us, if we're being honest, we want to say an apology, but then we want to justify it in our own mind for why we're doing it. And like you said, it's just a blank apology. If you start giving all the reasons for why it happened, rather than just being like, I was wrong. I made a mistake. I'm owning that. There's some real power in that. And I'm sure, I mean, you're not going to go back and ask those women, but I'm sure it's very rare that someone would come back and say that and own it in a way that you did. So, I mean, kudos to you for that. And, and again, I know that's not why you're telling the story, but yeah, it's not why, but thank that. you for that. But it, you asked for an example. I can think of one, like literally yesterday where I was a jackass <laughs> in a matter of hours, I owned it and apologized, not just in the hopes of making it right, but letting you know, letting the ladies know there were men there. I respect you. That's not who I am. I said something dumb. I own it. I apologize. And I didn't even ask, could we move on? I let them decide, could we move on? And to a T, they all said, we've moved on. And so I, so I hope that's true. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. Well, let's move on to the book. I want to talk a little bit about the book. So Marketing Mess to Brand Success, second book in the series. So one of the things I love about it, because I know it's so easy from a business side to get caught up in this. And I think our audience would really be able to relate to this, but it's getting caught when you have your goals and you have the things you're trying to achieve, getting caught in the processes and spreadsheets and everything else and completely losing focus of why you're doing it in the first place, of your mission, of your purpose. Can you just speak a little bit to that? Because I think a lot of us are guilty of that and falling down that, those traps. Well, I think that creative minds, you know, like I am, they need systems and structures to harness their energy and to focus them as well. But you know, here's what I've learned um, after, you know, a 25 year career at Franklin Covey and, and almost 10 of it as the chief marketing officer is that you got to surround yourself with really smart people that can call out your blind spots. that can remind you of why you're in business that can help to ground you, focus you. I'll tell you the decisions you make have a disproportionate power to your brand and your influence. I don't know that all of us really think about the gravity of the decisions we make, right? Say yes to this, say no to that. Say yes to these five things, therefore everything is a C minus versus yes to these 
two things and therefore it's an A plus, right? Saying yes to eight things is more gratifying. And you know me, I mean, I love a good crisis. I do my best work in sort of urgent mode and, and the dopamine. And if one doesn't exist, I'll cook one up. I mean, I'll elevate things that are not crisis worthy to crisis level because I feel validated because I do my best work under pressure. So I've got to surround myself with people that are, are courageous enough to say, Scott, why are you doing that? Scott, why are you doing this? Scott, this is your, this is your wheelhouse. Stay focused here. I look, if you look at the most influential people in the nation, in the world, you don't know them for five things. You don't know Roger, Roger Federer for hockey, right? You don't know Drew Brees for tennis. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't know Dave Hollis for television, right? Or Ron Howard. You don't know Ron Howard for cooking. You know, you know these people because they are experts at what they do. They've paid the 10,000 hours and they usually have surrounded themselves with great people that help keep them focused and don't allow them to take that creative. I'm sure Ron Howard could open up an amazing restaurant. He makes mm -hmm. movies. I'm sure Julia Childs could have, you know, you know, created all kinds of things, right? So there's uh, some power. My answer is broader than your question, but there's power in self-awareness, knowing what fuels your passion, knowing what depletes you, knowing what energizes you and knowing how easy it is for you to get distracted. And I think a lot of us build excuses. Well, I'm building a brand or I'm testing out a lot of ideas or I'm satisfying my creative juices. Well, you're going to be doing that for a couple of years if you don't get serious around what your true contribution and value is. And by the way, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, people with side hustles, there's a time and a period in which we test, right? We incubate. Let me finish this thought. I had the privilege of interviewing Karen Dillon on my podcast. She's the former editor of the Harvard Business Review. Not too shabby. No. She co-authored a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? Now, listeners, check into this. In this book, How Will You Measure Your Life, which is a phenomenal book, she shared some research from a fellow Harvard Business School professor that said 93% of organizations that achieve financial success do so with an emergent strategy, not the deliberate strategy they set out with, which means that only 7% of the time, your business idea that makes you successful was your original idea. 93% of the time, Brandon and Megan, you had to change your mind. You had to pivot. Mm -hmm. You had to be open to be influenced by someone else. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was the receptionist or someone you knew that was more junior than you. 93% of the time when businesses become successful, they changed their mind. And I think that speaks, speaks to your question, which is just around making sure that you are surrounding yourself with smart people, wise people, mature people that can both champion you, but they can also challenge you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So in the book, you kind of mentioned this idea that you came to the realization that you've always been a marketer and we're all always marketing for ourselves, right? Can you just talk to us a little bit about that idea and kind of how you sure. came to that and why that's true for all of us? Sure. So let's level set, Megan. Everybody's in sales, whether you think you are or not. It'll take me two questions to prove to you that you are in sales. The pastor at my church, the headmaster at my boy's school, right? The, the clerk, I mean, everyone is in sales, period. Mm. Everyone is in marketing, just like everyone's in sales. Whether you think you are a marketer or you have marketing talent, everyone's in marketing. And really marketing is just simply you know, the, the avenues in which you build and communicate your brand, right? Your brand is your reputation. Your reputation is the collection of all of your decisions and the promises you make to others. 
So everybody is in marketing. And every person listening to your podcast, they have their own brand. Their brand might be that they are voracious readers, that they're insatiably curious, that they're always late, that they are gossipers, that they are not trustworthy with your secrets, that they, you get the point, right? Everyone has a brand that they have behaved themselves into. If you want your brand to be that you are a trustworthy person, you have to make and keep commitments. You have to hold and keep confidences. You have to deliver on promises. So everybody is in marketing. And once you recognize that, then you recognize, wow, the totality, the gravity of the decisions I make, the words I use. A perfect example is the lunch yesterday, right? My brand was really strong in the first 80% of the meeting. It took a nosedive into the ocean the last like six, 16%. <laughs> That's the brand that I left people with. And I had to recover from that. I think the big idea there is that once you own the concept that everyone is in sales, that everyone is in marketing, then you begin to begin to become a little more deliberate, a little more fearless, but a little less reckless with all the decisions you make, your website, your conversations, how you treat people, how you make and honor and keep commitments. Well, that's not a big idea, but it's a good reminder, I think, to most mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of times marketing is looked at as there's like it's like a dirty word. Like people don't want to say they're in marketing because there's negative connotations tied to it because we're all marketed to so much. And, and you know, in the social media age, you're obviously getting marketed to by Facebook, Instagram, nonstop. And so it's kind of over inundated. So people don't want to own the fact that that's what they're ultimately doing. But it doesn't, to your point, it doesn't have to be like a negative thing where you're just slapping people over the head with your message. It's, it's actually, you know, building your brand and being able to share your message with people that you can help as well. I don't know, Brandon, to your point, I don't know a single person that doesn't want to be influential. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you have a big personality or a loud voice or you're on stage with a microphone, right? My wife would, would, well, she wouldn't do it. My wife would walk away. No, she would run away. If a <laughs> microphone came her way, she would run away. But I my wife that. wants to be influential, right? She wants to influence her boys. She wants to influence me. She wants to influence her friends. That's all marketing is, is just in being in persuasion mode, influence mode. Right, right. Beautiful. Yeah, okay. So I love in the book, uh, you talk about owning your own tenure and realizing you're talking about realizing in your own career when it was time to kind of move on. We talked about your adjustments this year, last year and a half, however long it's been. And we really looked into leaning into your own tenure. So how do you do that? Because I think we're always like, hey, we're in these circumstances and these circumstances control this. And if it wasn't for this, then I would be here. And if it wasn't for this, then I'd be here in my career or I could do this or I could meet this goal. So how do you, how do, you do that? How do you own your own tenure and decide and make the decision without the circumstance that because you ultimately are saying you control the outcome. First of all, I wish you could see how lovingly your wife looks at you. <laughs> I, I wish all of your <laughs> listeners could, could watch you ask a question and watch how, how lovingly your wife looks over at you. It's very endearing. Aww. And I think You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> I, I, I watched that several times in the podcast and your wife is smart and intelligent and a great communicator. She can do a podcast without your ass. But that's right. I just like I just like how 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 much your wife likes you. It's 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 like it's it's palpable. Okay. Thank you. I like that too. <laughs> I know, I, it's I good in the marriage. My wife. 
I wish my wife looked at you. <laughs> I'm sure she does. <laughs> a different podcast. Okay. To your point, <laughs> you know, this one is called own your tenure, right? It's really around taking control of your career. But I'm writing a book called job mess to career success. It comes out in January. And the whole premise is that the majority of people, whether you're in marketing or sales and product development or innovations or supply chain, or you cut hair, or you mow lawns, you got to own your career. Stop pursuing an accidental career, bouncing to this company for four more dollars an hour or that company because they have a ping pong table or this. No, 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 no. You got to take deliberate control of your career. You own your career. Whether your career is a side hustle or it's a full-time job or you're a corporate attorney, you own your career. And you've got to understand when, when you get bored. Let, let, me, let, let me take a sidetrack for 30 seconds. I think most of us spend too much time studying other people. Mm-hmm. Like I studied Dan Pink and Seth Godin and Rachel Hollis and you name it, right? I've, I've studied, they've read their books. I've been to their pot. But you know, how much time do I spend studying Scott Miller? Like, what are my passions and what are my fears and what makes me embarrassed and what, what do I really want and what's my legacy and what brings me joy and what irritates me? I mean, I, I think the big idea here is spend more time studying yourself. Mm-hmm. Spend a little less time studying other people. That's not selfish because when you study yourself, you know what your pressure points are. You know what gives you joy. You know what kind of leader you will thrive under. You know when you will get bored because the research shows, Megan and Brandon, that at about three years, people tend to become a little bit complacent in their jobs. They don't think they do, but it shows to others. The research shows about three years is when you tend to become bored with the learning curve of your job and you're kind of ready to move on. Doesn't mean you have to move out of your company necessarily. But I think it's important to kind of know when is it time to disrupt yourself? Because here's the fact, and this is horrifying, Brandon. Rarely are you in the room when your career is decided for you. It's usually your boss and your boss's boss or the CFO. Rarely are you in the room when your career is decided for you. That is both gross and insightful. Mm. And it's true. So I would say to your listeners, the power to disrupt yourself is something that you could give as a gift to yourself. It's to understand how long should I be in this job? When should I move myself out? When am I becoming too comfortable or too complacent where I'm either not challenging myself, I'm not learning and growing, I'm not pursuing my own goals? I think the power of self-disruption is what will always keep you in control of your business and your career. Gosh, I feel like there's enough there to do a whole episode. (laughs) Well, we could, right? But it takes confidence. It takes some self-awareness. It takes some risk-taking. It might take saving some money so that you can be in control of your mm-hmm. career because you might need to leave a toxic boss or a horrible culture to go make more deliberate decisions. I think the vast majority of people live their careers accidentally bouncing around versus this is what I'm going to do. Here's where I'll be in 20 years. And instead of forecasting, they backcast. Mm. They start with the end in mind and they identify the six or eight jobs they've got to have. And they have a very clear trajectory. Right, right. And then they're they're the whole time, even when they're making those decisions, they're thinking about all the obstacles that they'll inevitably face, sure. even though they're not real or not. They'll think yeah. about all the things they're going to have to do and all the hoops they'll have to jump through to get there, yeah. not yeah. thinking about what they actually want. 
you know, I mean, and I mean, that was one of my questions for you. Like you talk about in the book, actually setting aside time and it kind of touches right back to your point of what you're talking about here, where you're saying, what does Scott want? What does Brandon want? What does Megan want? You're actually have to think you have to set aside time to actually think. I love your idea and I'm definitely going to try it about putting it on the calendar. And I can't, I, I'm interested to see what it's called on your calendar, but is it just like Scott's thinking time or, or what? But setting aside time to think and actually spend time learning yourself and understanding what you want, because I don't think any of us actually do that. I think you are right, because I think we all are so obsessed, me included, with listening to podcasts and reading and the news information. And for many of us, you know, just our patriotism we feel like we have to watch the news, right? It's our moral responsibility to know what coup is happening in Africa or, you know, what's happening with the Biden administration or what did Trump tweet today? There's a bit of an obsession, a subconscious obsession with filling every gap, whether it be our beats or our, our, our iPods or whatever it is. I tell you when I, when I pivoted, the CEO of Franklin Covey about 10 years ago said to me something very, fairly rudimentary. He said, thinking is a legitimate business activity. Mm. Thinking is a legitimate business activity. And for a lot of us, you know, we feel the need in organizations to look busy, to be active. And if you're not super busy, then you're not productive. No, don't, you're not, don't confuse activity and busyness with impact and outcome and success. I think busy is a badge that a lot of us fall victim to. I don't want that to be my badge. I don't want to be super busy. I mean, it gives me some validation at must because I've got, you know, back to back all day today. But like you just said, is I have time on my calendar literally to sit back, put my feet up and just think. Mm. I'm a very visual person. So I have all of my projects, all of my goals on the wall. And I sit back and I'll just it for half an hour. Okay, four minutes because I have three boys that all have my personality and they're bound to come in here. But just sitting back, kind of, you know, looking and thinking, I'm spending too much time on this and it's not materializing. My ego is keeping me involved in that or my commitments. We don't, could I, could I unwind that? To your point, I would advise your listeners to balance your curiosity and your podcast and your news and your reading and your information intake that keeps you fresh and re innovates and re brands yourself with. How much time, disciplined thought, you're able to instill in your own life combined with disciplined action? Mm. I think most people think discipline as how they organize their day, their priorities, disciplined action. But disciplined thought is underrated. Wow. Man, there's some real power in that. I think, honestly, Scott, that's a great place to to wrap it up. And we had some more questions. I want to be conscious of your time, but... No, I I am honored to be back on your podcast. You two are, are are absolutely joyful. I follow you on social media intentionally because you have such a positive message and you are a great role model for my wife and my family and I. I always love to see you come up in my feed. Uh, so I'm honored to be friends with you and I hope that we get the chance to actually um, spend time together someday. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you so thank much, you so much you. Scott. Thank you for thank you for coming on again. Thank you for the person you are. Thank you for the message you're spreading. We appreciate you very much. Thank you. Hey B, what did you think of that episode? I think it was pretty dang good. Well, what should someone do if they enjoyed these last 30 minutes? 
They should probably head over and leave us a review so we can reach more people. They definitely should. Guys, if you like the Fools in Love podcast, please go follow us over on Instagram at Fools in Love Podcast. We'd love to connect with you and learn more about what you'd like to hear. 